0: Bible is because of sola scriptura. It's a Latin phrase that means the scriptures and the scriptures alone. We don't believe that uh, personal opinion. We don't believe that the government. We don't believe that our spouse's opinion or the culture trumps holy scripture. That the Christian is under authority of God's holy word. That even your deacons and your preacher has to come under authority of God's. So saith the Lord God's word tonight. And sola scriptura is Latin. and It means scripture alone. And that also leads us into sola fide, a Latin phrase that means faith and faith alone. Faith means confidence and trust. We have confidence and trust in something and that something is not a something but a someone and his name is Christ. And that is the Latin phrase sola Christos, a Latin phrase that means Christ and Christ alone. We have faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ alone. We don't trust in our tithing records. We don't work. we don't. We don't Trust in our baptismal certificates. We don't trust in our church attendance. We trust in Christ alone. And you might be sitting here tonight. And you might say, "Well, I'm not a good Christian, and I'm I'm not good at being Christian, and I'm not good at being holy." Well, thank God for grace. Amen. That's the Latin phrase "sola gracia, a Latin phrase that means grace and grace alone. It's only by grace that we're saved. It's not that we can boast because of our works. It's simply grace and grace alone, and all all those beautiful, uh, those beautiful parts of the Reformation is tied up with a beautiful bow on top, on top called Sole Deo Gloria. It's a Latin phrase that means God's glory and His glory alone. That we meet here at Riverside, not for our glory, not to make us feel better or to stick it to the Republicans or the Democrats or to, to get on the bats out of protest and show that we're standing over here, this is what we're standing on and we're going to do this to make somebody No, no, no. We gather here for God's glory and His glory alone. Whenever God sends a sinner to hell, it shows that He is just. That the sinner gets what he deserves. And whenever a saint goes into heaven, it shows that He is gracious and merciful. Amen, somebody. So God gets glory no matter if the sinner goes to hell or the saint goes to heaven. If you would grab your Bible, turn to Joshua chapter number 9. We're going to look at this whole chapter tonight. So we have to do a lot of Work. like the Bible says gird your loins and now I know you, you might say well, what does that mean that's archaic speaking back in biblical times whenever you were getting ready to go out to battle you must remember men did not have trousers they didn't have breeches, and they didn't have jeans they wore robes so what they would do is reach down and grab that robe pull it up and tuck it into their belt that way when they ran they would not be hindered in the running so to gird gird up your loins or to roll up your sleeves is what we would say is to prepare for battle tie up the loose ends and we know that the bible tells us that when we gird ourselves with the the belt of truth that we tuck everything into the truth and the bible is true tonight and that's what we're, we're using tonight so we're looking at joshua chapter number nine If you remember last week when we spoke about Joshua chapter 8, as they went out to go against the Ai after suffering a horrible defeat against those few people there, around 12,000 compared to the million army of Joshua, they suffered a horrible defeat because of Achan. And now they rededicated themselves by looking at the covenant of God. We remember speaking about the covenant of God. The covenant is the promises of God and God is the promise. keeper. We're the promise breakers. We're the ones that always seem to be the loose ends of the deal. We're the ones who always drop the ball. But God is faithful. For doesn't Leviticus chapter 3 tell us that his mercies are new every morning? If it was up to us to get ourselves to heaven ain't nobody going to get to heaven. Let me just put it plainly. It's only because of the work of God. He's the faithful one. He's the one who keeps his promises. So we see he moves the hearts of people in Joshua chapter number 8. We look at verse thirty on how he tells that the, the Joshua reads the word of God. That the word of God must have preeminence. It has a place of importance to a family, to a tribe, to a nation, to a people or even to a church. That the Bible should be the centerpiece of any ministry. Here at Riverside our Bible is the steam engine that keeps anything and everything going. Amen. It's what we thrive for. It's ran off the goats but it feeds the sheep. Amen. And Some people say, well I don't want to go there. That preaches me he's just preaching the word of God it might be my delivery I don't know but either way it's still true that God's word rings forth regardless of whose feelings it hurts and who makes somebody feel ashamed well good we should be ashamed for our sins and find repentance in Jesus Christ but we see how Joshua in verse number 30 on all the way to verse number 35 how he speaks the covenant of God to the people and they rededicate themselves after a huge failure and then a victory instead of throwing a ticker tape parade and throwing a, a, a party for themselves to throw themselves a, a huge party and pat themselves on the back they go to church hey man, there ain't nothing wrong with that just go to church and give honor to God and read over his precepts and his laws and his statutes remember what saith the Lord and his promises toward you and I so that's what Joshua does he brings the people together and they listen all from the youngest to the oldest so saith the word of the Lord now we look in verse number 1 of chapter number 9 of Joshua. Uh, who, I do hope you have your Bible open with you. As I always tell you, never trust the preacher. If you can go through a sermon with your Bible closed and the preacher goes on and on and you never have to open your Bible, that's a bad sermon. Amen. Uh, open your Bible and follow with us in Joshua chapter number 9 verse number 1. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the low land all along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, the Pizarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard all this, all the Canaanites and Isites and all the Yadaites. They heard everything that Joshua has done at this point he took out two major targets right there in and, uh, and the promised land and, and, but what he did is he split the whole uh, loose federation into two so there's a northern area and a southern area and Joshua by the directing power of God he went right in the middle and split this loose confederacy into two and they could not communicate with each other but now we see in verse number one that these kings as soon as the kings heard beyond the Jordan, in the hill country these Canaanites, they have all come together and now they're joining together loosely to attack the people of God and what Joshua has done we see the list of these uh, the the pagans and the wicked we might read and say well the Hittites and the Pisavites and all the ripes and all the Canaanites, we read those names and we might think they're innocent well all actuality, humanity is not innocent in the eyes of a holy God if we woke up today, not in hell, it's a good day. and I, 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 You might say, well preacher, are you saying they deserve anything come, that comes? This genocide? Well that's just the fancy word of us being judgmental at God because He commanded these wicked people to be slaughtered. And now do you see the Hittites, the Canaanites, and Pizarites, they all have gathered together in verse number 2. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and against Israel. Now the enemies of God have risen up and now they are coming together because they saw what happened at Jericho that the mighty God of Israel caused the walls to fall. They even heard about the children of God long before they reached and breached Jordan. They heard about the Red Sea splitting and all the plagues that befell Egypt and now their hearts had been melting as we read back in Rahab and the two spies that were talking to them to her. We see how they heard about the coming of Israel it took them 40 years to get there but in those 40 years God was faithful to people and now they have arrived and now adversaries and all the enemies of God are rising up and God has made promises to his people and now we have to see will God put up or shut up will God show out will he be there for his people in his promises you must ask yourself the same thing God has made promises to you Uh, is God going to leave you and forsake you whenever times get troublesome whenever the waters get stirred or whenever the rain falls on your head will God stick closer than a brother will he leave in 99 to find you when you can't find your own way is it true is it true that's the question tonight but we see in verse number 3 but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done what Joshua had done to Jericho and the Ai they on their part acted with cunning and went out and made ready provisions and took and Worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins. Worn out and torn and mended. Number five, we see they, they with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And with all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in verse number six in the camp at Gilgal. And they said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. So now make a covenant with us. We see here that they made a purpose in their hearts to deceive Joshua and the children of Israel. Because truly, they had a spy in the camp. We don't read it here, but they know that God has appointed the land that they live for destruction. Back in Deuteronomy chapter number 6, we can see where God is speaking to the children of Israel through Moses. And He tells them when they go into the land to conquer it and spare no one. So the Gibeonites have heard what the Lord God has commanded to the people of Israel. They were living on the land that has been promised to God's inheritance, Israel. So in their cunning and uh, uh, deceitful ways, what they do is set out showing that their, their sandals were worn and the children of Israel, even though they walked in the wilderness for 40 years, their sandals weren't worn. Even though they saw their garments were the sun because of the long journey that they claimed to be on, they saw that their clothes were dry rotted. They saw that their animals were weary. They were seeing the appearance of deceitfulness. Just because a heresy looks like it's really old, hear me church, doesn't mean that it's right. Hear me. Because a lot of people believe a lot of things because they believe it's really old. They even believe it predates God. It predates the the word of the Lord. They believe that the ancient lies that still come up is the same old lies really let's be honest they're the same old lies pre-dressed up with a new mustache it's the same old lies that the Jehovah's Witness believed that Jesus was a phantom that's the same old lies that they told back in John's day that's why he he wrote the epistles 1 John 2 John the the same old lies of the Latter Day Saints they believed that Jesus and Satan were brothers and they believed that you you will be a God and you will inherit a universe and you will be Elohim. Those are the same lies that Satan told Eve that you will be like God. Same old heresies with a different shade of lipstick. Right? Same old same old heresies dressed up to look like something new. Now we see that the children of Israel are face to face with deceit and lies that are looking to be old and ancient. You will face these lies in your life. They'll look old and ancient. You might think that Darwinism is something that's old and ancient. It's about 100, maybe 150 years old. But it's just something that's made up of fairy tales by a man named Darwin who believed that the the goo went to the zoo and crawled out and created me and you. The truth of the matter is we were created in the image of God. Fearfully and wonderfully made is what David says in Psalms 139. We were created in the image of God Himself. But just because it's old, Many people accept all those old heresies standing face to face. What will we use to make sure what we see and what we hear and what we test is true? What is true metal and what's fake? Well, we can look at it through the Word and the lens of God. We see here that that the children of Israel do not do this very thing. They do not adhere to the Word of God. And they find themselves in deceit. They find themselves messed up. And what it does is you would almost think there needs to be a plan B, but we must remember, remember this church. No matter if it's a pandemic in 2022, is it 20? No, 2020, or, or if it was a, a mistake back when the children of Israel come out of Egypt and come into the Promised Land, that God is still sovereign. Ooh, I thought you'd be more excited about that myself. But God is sovereign. That means God is in control. That means He owns all this, that is all under His power. Have you ever seen the illusion or you ever seen the trick where the man has a little pole and he spins and bowls on the, or plates on the pole and he'll run over here and start spinning, or it might even be basketballs that he has to run around and spin things and he has to keep it all under control? Many people believe that God's that way. That He's running over here trying to keep the world spinning. He's over here making sure that comet doesn't hit Jupiter. Making sure that this that the solstice is at the right time. Making sure the seasons change. Making sure the stock market doesn't, doesn't crash. But our God is so mighty and strong that He simply sits on His throne. Do you hear me tonight? That he holds all of the universe in the palm of His hands. Even Job says that He stretches the expanse between His indexes in his thumb that's our God he is sovereign and he's got it under control yes. so he's not spinning this plate and he run over here and spinning this plate and he's he's running and he's sweating he's out of breath our God is seated on the throne and the earth let me remind you it's his footstool Amen. so we see here even though Joshua and the children of Israel about to make a big mistake they've been deceived They're being tricked, bamboozled, hoodwinked, whatever you want to say. That God still reigns. We see here, let me find my place because I took my finger off when I went on my tangent. (laughs) We see here that that their clothes were worn out in verse number 5. They had patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal and said to him, and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. So now make a covenant with us. But we see in verse 7, these men were they were smart. They questioned the people that were standing before them with their worn-out clothes. Uh, they, 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 They were trusting their intuition. Maybe that was their fallacy, that was their problem, they were trusting their gut. Because we see in verse 7, "...but the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you?" They second-guessed the men. Which is good. There's nothing wrong with second guessing somebody. Second guess people. Check on your pastor. Make sure he's preaching the gospel. Open your Bible. Make sure you're like a Berean. When Paul stood before the Bereans and he preached, they opened the scrolls and made sure what he said lined up. You only have a false prophet getting mad if you double check and fact check what he's saying. But a true man of God says, Open your Bible and check and see what I'm saying if it's true or not. Test the Spirit. At least you fall. That's right. So they're testing these men. They're saying, "Hey, how do we know that you ain't you ain't locally? You're just trying to deceive us." And they said to Joshua, "We are your servants." And Joshua said to them, "Who are you?" You notice that false false people they'll only repeat the same lie. They repeat again where they're from. They don't give a, a country name. They don't say, well, we're around, we're around the corner down the road. They don't give the name of the town. They don't give a name of their nation. They only repeat what they've already told. Who are you, they said, and where you come from? In verse number 8 and verse number 9, they said to Him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. Many times false teachers and preachers and false people and brother will even invoke the name of the Lord saying, hey, we're Christians too. Right. Mormons aren't Christians. Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians. I dare to say even Catholic are not Christians because they don't pray and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. But the intercession of Mary, oh preacher, you're calling names, that's hateful. No, let's call wolves, wolves. How, how horrible will it be if your preacher was bought off and wouldn't call wolves wolves and they came among us and devoured the flock? That's a sorry preacher. Let's just go ahead. Let's call out names. Let's stand on the truth and what God has set before us. Here they say, we've heard because of the name of the Lord your God. For we heard a report of Him and all that He did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings and the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shihon and the king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who live in Asheroth. So we see in verse number 10, they don't even put the latest news. They were cunning. They didn't mention Jericho, and they didn't mention Ai. They were really selling the story. For they were only a three days journey away from Joshua, if you didn't know it. If you hadn't already read chapter number 9, you don't know that the Gibeonites lived right around the way. uh, Right around the corner. They were neighbors. But they're there to to deceive Joshua. In verse number 11, So our elders and all our inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hands for the journey and go and meet them and say to them we are your servants come now make a covenant with us make a promise with us you also see in verse number 10 that they had elders there was no king there was not one el- There was not one king who was the embodiment of their state but at the top of the chapter in chapter number 9 you see all these kings of the Canaanites you see the Hizorites and the, and the Lebanon you see the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites you hear that the the leaders of these kingdoms rise up in their heart and their intentions. Sometimes, if you invest all power absolutely in one person, we know that the heart can be corrupted. So whenever you follow and believe solely in that one person with absolute power, it can lead you to destruction. But thanks be to God, even here at Riverside, we are led congregational that the people decide that they vote. Then thank God that we have deacons that overlook the flock and overlook the pastor. Because you don't, you might not notice, but even preachers can. Can lose their mind. Sometimes they can preach her- heresy. And sometimes they can make up things and even want to be worshipped. And thank God we have people in place here at Riverside who will rise up and say, hey, hey, that ain't right. According to Scripture, this is the way it should be. This is what it says and this is what we adhere to. So thank God for those who fact-check the preacher. Thank God for those who open their Bibles when the preacher's preaching. Thank God for deacons. Thank God for those in the ladies' auxiliary. Thank God for Sunday school teachers. Thank God for people who study their Bible. False teachers and preachers want to keep people in the dark and say just lean on me for the word. But no I implore you. I dare you. I encourage you to open your Bible and study it for yourself to see what the preacher is saying is true or not. Amen. So we see here that they are going over again and the elders, they have people in their, in their tribe, their, their group of people instead of having one king. These elders come up with a good idea. Now you might say, well that is shady. But even Jesus in Luke chapter 16 talked about the, the scrupulous manager who was going to be put out by his master. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus even talks about the pagan and those who are unbelievers. He talks about this manager who calls together everybody that his master was owed. That he calls together everybody because that manager was told by his master, This time next year, I'm kicking you out. I'm going to find somebody younger. I'm going to find somebody more talented than you. So your days are done. I'm giving you a notice. So, what does this manager do? He calls everybody, all the people who are indebted to the master, and he cuts deals with them. He said he was scrupulous. That way whenever he's put out by his master that he'll find a better job in another place. Because the manager said I'm too old and to dig dishes, and I'm too weak and feeble. My back can't handle that manual labor. I need to find favor in other people. So he worked scrupulously. He was cunning. He was smart in his dealings. And even Jesus commended somebody who was scrupulous. Uh, someone who knew their way around. Who was sly and crafty in the mind. But we can see here these people were crafty in the mind now I'm not saying what he did was right but Jesus uses that as a parable it says have common sense be about your affairs and be smart about things don't work harder work smarter amen but we see here that they were scrupulous they were smart and they were deceiving these elders and they sent out their people to go deceive Joshua because what was on the line their very lives Because Joshua will march in with his people to those four cities and slaughter everybody according to the commandments of Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. But we see here, we are your servants in verse number 11. Come now and make a covenant with us. Here Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses. Our food for the journey. On the day we set out to come to you. But... Now behold, it is dry and crumbly. They're really selling this to the people of Israel. These wineskins in verse 13, they were new when we filled them. And behold, they have burst. Usually when wineskins have uh, wine in it, it will ferment and it will cause it to swell. And it will burst if you don't relieve the pressure they're saying on their journey. They were in such a hurry to get to Joshua that their wineskins burst. And these garments and these sandals of ours are worn out from this long journey, Joshua. So we see in verse 14, they're convinced. Joshua and the children of Israel believe their eyes. They believe their ears. But they don't believe God. What you mean, preacher? Well, let's finish. Don't get up and leave. Let's finish. Verse 14, So the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. That's where it all hinged. That's where it all changed. They believed their eyes and their ears, but they didn't believe God. For God had commanded them what to do, even in the little things. Even when they're presented with an opportunity, a face-to-face, a decision that they needed to make. They might have thought, it's a small thing. It's no big deal. We, We got this. We have common sense. God gave us common sense, didn't He? He gave us common sense that we can trust our intuition. We know. We see the people standing right here. Their sandals are worn out. Their food is crumbly and dry. They've been on a long journey. And now they're standing here and they want to make a covenant with us, God's people. And they take up their provisions, we see here. That they came with moldy food and presented it to God's children. And God's children took the moldy food. It happens all the time in church. Preachers present a lie. And God's people eat it up even though it's moldy and old. But let me tell you, there's nothing moldy about the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Now only whenever it's been on the shelf for a long time, and it's a lie. And they pull it off and present it to God's people. And people eat it up because they're biblically illiterate. But the children of Israel, they took those moldy provisions and they welcomed them. Because they did not ask counsel from the Lord in verse 14. They didn't ask God what's His opinion, what's His thoughts, and nor what's His commandments. You must remember they had the Ephraim and the Thurim right there. You remember that little pouch behind the the high priest's chest plate where he would reach in and get a yes or no answer right there on the spot. They didn't even bother because they they got this, they figured it out. Well, don't we do the same before we set judgment on them, before we laugh at Joshua and his merry men, before we look at them and their mistakes? Do we not do the same? Lord, what do I do about this child? This child has made me about to lose my mind. What do I do? Well, I know better. I won't. I won't look at what Scripture says that we should raise them up in the way they should go. I, 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 won't, I, I. What do I do about this coworker? What do I. What do I do about this neighbor? What do I do about this spouse? Or what do I do about my singleness? What do I do about my vocation? What do I go to school? What church I go to? What kind of pastor should I have? What. How should I dictate my tithing and my giving? What should I do with my talents? God, who should I vote for in the election? How should I live in the light of the culture? What should I do about the government and its overreach? What should I do about adhering to the, the law of the land? What should I do? Well, I think I've got to figure it out and i will going to look for the counsel of God. And then we find ourselves nibbling on some stale bread. Lacking nourishment that God gives What God's answers is right there in your lap, in your hand. The Word of the Lord, the oracles of God. So saith the Lord. If we really believe that it's the Word of God, then it really won't sit on our shelf long enough to gather dust every day. If we really believe these are the words of God, so saith God, then that app that we really don't use on our phone... You might forget what page it's on. You don't use it that much. If we really believe it's the Word of God, we would handle it a lot more. Our Bibles would be falling apart because our lives are not. Amen. We see in verse 14 so the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. I'm just going to be honest. The preacher's going to be honest. I've done that. I have not seek the counsel of the Lord. I've done that many times in my life. I can't even count how many times I did not seek the counsel of the Lord. Even in the, the little things, in the, the big things, I did not seek counsel to God. But in God's eyes, all the things are small. You might say, Well, you mean I gotta ask where I'm eating supper when I leave church or lunch on Sunday morning? Do I drink Pepsi or Coke? Lord, give me a sign. That's not what I'm talking about. Seek Him in counsel. Even in the small things. If you want to get that minute about it, fine. Lean on Him in all ways. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches outside of me. You could do nothing. If you cut the branch off from the vine, it withers and dies. Lean on Him. Lean on His strength and trust in His way. He leads me beside the still word. Notice He's leading me. And I'm, not lo- I'm not trusting in my own ideas and trusting my gut. Lord, I'm trusting You and what You've done. Leaning on Your promises. I'm leaning on You, Lord. Don't do like Preacher Kevin and Joshua. I won't say Your name because You. I'm sure You've never done this. You who are sitting in the pews and you who are watching by television and those who are listening by radio or podcast. I know you've never done this, so it's just me that I didn't trust in His counsel. I didn't trust in Him. Learn from my mistakes. Seek Him. If you got a problem in your life, no matter what it is, nothing like a good resurrection that can fix it. Amen. Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He can handle whatever your are faced. Oh, don't make me start preaching about that. we got to stick with this. But they didn't look for the counsel of God. You have the counsel of God. It ain't your preacher. I don't have no divine mainline to heaven quicker than you. I have the same Bible you do. And I serve the same master you do. Turn your eyes upon Christ. Hit your knees and pray till He answers. Amen, somebody. But the men did not ask counsel from the Lord in verse 15. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. We see that it was not just Joshua, but Joshua had a big influence, but it was also the princes of Israel, the elders and the leaders, all made a covenant with the people of the Gibeonites. Now, how does God honor a covenant? Now, we, we don't use the word covenant nowadays in our time and culture. We say it's archaic and old-fashioned. It, how does God honor promises? How does our God honor? Oh, we promise or we, 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 we dedicate ourselves to a our cause, whether it's marriage, whether it's to a church, to a friend. And no matter what it is, what kind of promise you make, and you might say, well, I rushed into this thing. I was young. I should not have gotten married that young. Or I I didn't know them when I made a promise. And sometimes we are called in a bad situation because we did not seek out the counsel of the Lord first. So do we break our promises and our covenants? Do we break them on the grounds of not knowing the other party? Let me present this to the church. Jesus knows all about you. He knows your failings. He knows your hang-ups. He knows every last one of your sins. And yet He has a covenant with you. And He has not broken it. So you kind of throw that excuse out the window. Let's go ahead and do that now. I didn't know then when I made that promise. I didn't know the character. But uh, let me assure you, Jesus knew your character and it's far worse than theirs. So we see here that the children of Israel have entered a contract by word, a covenant with the people of the Gibeites. These are four pe- these are four cities that have came together. Now in actuality what they've done, they've come to Joshua and they've bowed the knee to Joshua. They've bowed and said, we want to be allies with you. We surrender with you. We want to be your people. Come around and gather around us. We adhere to your Scriptures and we will honor you as what they're doing in this alliance. They showed up in rags. They showed up with dry, dirty food. They showed up with nothing to offer but mold and worn out clothing. Standing before Joshua. They bend the knee. And say, will you spare us? We're from a long ways off. Does that even sound remotely familiar to anybody? For there was another Joshua. A leader of His people. Hear me now. Hear me tonight. There's another Joshua who comes again later in the New Testament. His name is Jesus. And he stands among paupers and poor people who can offer nothing but moldy bread and dried up provisions. People like you and I, we stand before this Joshua and we bend the knee and submit ourselves to him. Otherwise, we will be annihilated. So we see here the analogy. The foreshadowing of the gospel all over again. In Joshua chapter number 9. The beggar coming to Joshua for hope. Just like you and I, we come to Jesus. Jesus, will you take me as I am? Jesus, will you take me when my mind don't work right? Jesus, will you take me when I'm broken and my soul is wounded? Jesus, will you take me even though i got a limp? Jesus, will you take me even though I can't claw my way to you? you got to come to me. Jesus, will you help me when I'm chained? Jesus, will you find me when I'm lost? Jesus, will you take me as I am? Just like that old hymn says, just as I am. Without one plea. Here I am, Lord. Will you accept me? Amen, somebody. That's good. Amen. Ain't that good? We see it again that Joshua stands here before paupers and poor people and he pulls them in. But now, let's continue back here with the Gibeonites. We see that they swore to them in verse number 15. Now they're part of the congregation. But in verse 16, at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with him. They heard that their neighbor, they were their neighbors and they lived among them. What? They live around the they live around the block around a second palm tree. They live three days away. Maybe it'll take you back in biblical times. If you could do 10 miles to 20 miles, they probably lived anywhere from 40 to 60 miles away from where they were. In fact, later, in the next chapter. Joshua's people march all night to get there. So if you drive an army really hard, you can get there in about a day. So they find out that they've been tricked without consulting the Lord. Now they have to keep their word or break their word. The same is true with you, Christian. That's why giving your word matters. That's why standing On the promises of God and knowing what God thinks about the situation is what takes preeminence in the situation. God, what do you think about this contract? What do you think about this idea? What do you think about this committing myself to? What do you think, Lord, before I jump the gun and do something I shouldn't do? Jesus, what do you think about me going to this church? I believe what church you go to and who your pastor is more important is who you marry. What? Yes. Who your preacher is and what he preaches is more important than who you marry. Because theology will sing you to hell. A bad marriage will make you feel like you're in hell. But bad theology will sing you to a literal hell. So it matters what church you go to and who your preacher is. What does God think about this? What does God's opinion, what does His Word say? So we see here, they find out they've been tricked. Now, Joshua and his people, they're gonna go confront the Gibeites. In verse 17, and the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now, in their cities, you'll see there's four of them Gibeon, Siphron, Beroth, and Kirfir, do you see that one? Kirfir, Jerim. And Jerem. In verse 18 But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to all the congregation murmuring against the leaders even though the people wanted to break the covenant, and they murmured against the leaders, what does Israel do? They didn't attack them because they gave their word. Now, because the leaders and Joshua did not counsel with God and get so saith the Lord, they're caught in a hard place because now, because of these people, they'll be drawn into a battle. In verse 19, But all the leaders said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we now may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest the least wrath be upon us, because of the oath we swore to them. These leaders knew that God saw their covenant. He saw their promise. Now, this brings up the question, and you heard me say it many times, God is sovereign. We all have an understanding of God as sovereign. I've preached it for four years in this pulpit. That God is in charge and in control of all things. But what about human responsibility or free will, is like we like to say it in this denomination? Does our free will cancel God's sovereignty? Does that mean that When I think I want to do something and God controls everything, does He take His hand off of me and let me work however I feel? Is God's sovereignty cancelled out by my opinions, my thoughts, and my actions? Well, by the very word and the definition of sovereignty is negated or it stops being sovereign even if He's not sovereign over my opinions, my thoughts, and my actions. So God is sovereign even over the actions the thoughts and the free will of men. And you say, well, if you're a deep thinking Christian, and I do hope you are, how can the sovereignty of God and the human responsibility or free will or the free agency of man coexist. And you might hear some theologians say, well, they're like railroad lines railroad tracks that run along together and in the distance they seem like they connect and they touch each other. But they're parallel and we'll never see them touch until we get to eternity. And you might be satisfied with that, but you can't be satisfied with that because that don't make much sense as you start thinking about it. Because if they're parallel, that means they never touch, they never come together, that means they never come together even in eternity. So how does the sovereignty of God... The free agency, the free will of man coexist. Glad you asked. Here's a good analogy for you to understand. In my house, I have dominion. Not to say I'm a king, but in this instance to help you understand, I rule over my home. Not with an iron fist. Not in a mean kind of way either. Because it's my home. I have uh, my wife and my children. And I have all the things that God has blessed me with. But in my home, my children have free will. They can do whatever they want. They're allowed to make any choices and decisions. But in line with what I reign over. For they cannot have an all-night rave and dance and party all night. They can't have chocolate cake and do whatever they want because I who reign over them as their parent dictate within the guidelines of what they can do and what they can't do. So at the same time, we coexist. My sovereignty in my home and the free will of my children. The same is in all of creation. That our God is sovereign. And we have our free agency and our free will. But God is over it all. Because if there's just one molecule, one atom out here that God does not reign over, then He don't reign over everything. And He is not sovereign. So rest your head on your pillow tonight at ease knowing that God reigns over everything. Even over you. And I know that's offensive to somebody. I know somebody's mad about it, that God reigns over everything, even you. But that's a different sermon and that's a different lesson. Even in mistakes, that God still reigns over mistakes. He even reigns over covenants and promises that His people make. He even reigns over the pagan. He even reigns over the devil worshiper and the voodoo. He reigns over the Catholic and the Latter-day Saints. He reigns over it all. He's God. But now the covenant and the promise that God's people have made towards the Gibeonites, how does God... He allowed it to happen. He allowed them to to have the sin. He allowed it. He didn't cause it. For God is not... Uh, making us into robots. We're already robots because we're controlled by sin and tainted by sin. If you want to know more about that, you should have been here when we go into Romans. We're going into to Romans 13 coming up this week. But to go back online, listen how we're already controlled by sin. And it's only God who sets us at liberty. Amen. That a person only does in their heart what they want to do. If you want to sin, it's because of sin in your heart. Nobody makes you sin. Only God can change your heart to bring you to Him. That's why you must be born again. And He's the one who does it. That's so good. Otherwise we wouldn't come to Him unless God changes us. He's the one who does the work. That's so good to me. That it's God who gets all the glory. None of me. I don't say I I chose God. Truly He chose me and I don't know why. For he, he chose Peter, not Judas. He chose Moses and not Pharaoh. I don't know why He does it. He doesn't treat everybody the same. If you want justice across the board, everybody goes to hell. But He shows mercy on whom He wills. Oh, I don't know why He chose Israel. I don't know why He chose Moses and Joshua. I don't know why. But He did. And that's called amazing grace. And that's wonderful and great. But now we see here that Joshua is found in a pickle, as we say around here. He's made a promise and a covenant. And if he breaks the promise, will God let him off the hook? Well, the truth of the matter is, Joshua kept his promise. He says that he'll let them live. Do not touch him in verse 19 and verse 20. This what we'll do to them. Let them live. Least wrath come upon us. That he knew that he served a covenant God. That God kept His promises and God's people should keep their promises. If God is a forgiving God, we should forgive. We should be the forgiving people. We spoke about that Sunday. If God is merciful, we should be merciful. If God keeps His Word, we should keep our Word. It ain't fun to preach, especially when it's your turn to do it. Amen. But we should do what God calls us to do. In verse number 21 of these, And the leaders said to them, Let them live so they become cutters of wood, drawings of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. In verse 22, Saul, Joshua summoned them and he said to them, Why did you deceive us? Saying we are far from you when you dwell among us. In verse 23, now, for, now therefore you are cursed and shall shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it is told to your servants for certainty that the Lord your God had commanded His servant Moses to give you all the land, to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we fearfully greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. Joshua had no choice. We knew what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter number 7, you'll see how God commanded the children of Israel, if you come up to a city or a fort that's fortified, that you are to offer peace towards that city before you are to attack it. So these are not warmongers. They're not just coming to consume and destroy. And they knew that. So they studied the laws of God before they came to Joshua. And they knew If they could just get them to have a covenant with them, that they would be safe for their generations and their children. In verse 25, And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good to you and right in your sight, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel. And they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day. And the place that he should choose. We see here that the Gibeonites were going to be consumed and destroyed by the children of Israel. However, they became servants to the altar of the Lord. Church, it's better to be a slave to God than live free anywhere else. The Gibeonites are in the safest place they possibly could be at this point. And Joshua kept his word. And it's important that Joshua and the people of Israel kept the word because in the very next chapter, God gives them a miraculous victory. In fact, He'll hold the sun still in the middle of the battle and the moon still, that the day does not progress because God saw that the Israelite army, Joshua and the people, kept their covenant. Even though it wasn't easy, even though it caused them a lot of heartache and trouble, they kept their word. In a time when people give their word and it's like water, flimsy, flip floppy, it can be lukewarm, cold one minute, hot next, fickle. In a time when people will shake your hand and, and then have a knife in the other before you turn the back, they won't stab you in the back, they'll stab you in the face. In a time when people won't even believe a word you say unless it's notarized on your tongue. In a time like now when people just walk out on their promises and their covenants. They walk out on marriages, walk out on families and children, walk out on churches. Don't be those people. Be like Jesus. Stay faithful. Even if it's hard. When they place that beam across Jesus' shoulders and that old grainy wood dug deep in those wounds that were opened up by the lacerations of the beating and the flogging of the Roman soldiers, Jesus didn't change His mind because it was hard. Jesus didn't change His mind whenever they pressed the thorns into His brow and they hurt. Christian, hear me. Sometimes it's going to hurt. You might even die because of a covenant and a promise. But stand true To your covenants and your promises. That's why you don't rush into them. See what the Lord says. There's somebody watching, you're wondering who you should marry. Search the scriptures, seek God's counsel. Make sure that that person is going to make you a better Christian. Not that they won't make you happy, but they'll make you holy. Seek the counsel of God what you should do with your family. Will they be entertained? Will they be full of joy if we did this? That purchase or where we should go? Not that it will make you happy, but will it make you holy? Should I watch that television show? Should I do that extracurricular activity? Should I invest my money here or do that? Lord, I'll seek your face first. I'll commit my ways to you first. Many times we miss church because we got other things going on. It should be the other way around. We miss things because we got church. Amen. Seek the Lord. Lord, what, what does your word say? What should I do with my life? I, I commit myself to you. I'm serious about this thing. My Christianity is not a hobby. Something I do on the weekends when I find extra time. When I can squeeze them in to my calendar. But Lord, my whole life is yours. All that I am, I'm committed to you. So Lord, commit me to things that you are pleased with. Commit me to things that you want me to be a part of. So we see in Joshua chapter number 9, they kept their word. And God's big on keeping your word. How do I know? Because of 2 Samuel chapter 21, a couple of hundred years later, the first king, Saul, He'll rise up in a power and position. However, he doesn't seek after God. I know we haven't got there yet. I'm giving you some spoilers. Even though Joshua in chapter number nine kept his covenant with God, he honored God. And in chapter number 10, God rewarded the children of Israel with a great and mighty military victory in chapter number 10. And we'll cover that next week. But 2 Samuel chapter 21 there's a famine in Israel. And Israel seek God's face. God, why is there a famine here? And God revealed to him that Saul, the first king, rose up into power and he put to death all these Gibeites. He killed every one of them out of rage and anger. He thought they were worthless. I don't know if it was genocide or what, but he killed them. So God sent a, he sent a phantom on the land. A, a phantom, phantom. There was no food. There was no provisions. No rain. No water. The famine was there and David inclined his ears to God. and said, why? He said, there's blood guilt on the land. The promise that the people made to the Gibeonites has been broken. So David, he fixed it. If you want to read it, read it. He worked it out. where there, There was a sacrifice and God was pleased with the sacrifice. Because people broke the words and their covenants they set out. But God was not in the original covenant and the original promise. So God looks at promises and they do matter in the eyes of God. Your word matters. It carries weight. It will build someone on it. It will tear them down. But make sure the words you speak come from a biblical perspective. That you stand on God's promises. This is what God would want me to say. You've always heard me say that old analogy of the preacher who stood at the back door shaking hands little old lady comes up and says preacher I've decided that I only pray about the big things preacher without missing a beat clasps her hands and shakes it and said my dear darling to God they're all little things so no matter what it is pray about it No matter how big or small, no matter what you're facing, what you're coming into or coming out of, pray. Seek his face, seek his direction, and lean upon what saith the Lord. Well, how do I know if I hear his voice? How do I know what he says? How do I know? Don't say, God ain't speaking to me when your Bible is set on the shelf closed. If you want to hear them audibly, open the Word and read it out loud. This is God's words to you. How you are to live your life. How you are to raise your children. How you are to live your, your prime of your life. How you are to retire. How you are to live your days in the light of what God has done for you in this Word. Don't do like Joshua and the elders of Israel and they did not seek counsel from God. Well, I ain't got no big decisions coming up. Start asking Him in the small decisions. Cry out to Him for every step of the way. Lord, what do I do? Where do I go? Who's to be my friends? Who's to be in my circle? Who do I call friend and associate with? Who do I hang out with? Where do I go? What do I spend my time, my talent, and my treasures on God? I incline my ear towards You. And I seek You. Maybe tonight you're seeking something. There's something that you're facing and you need God to intervene and God to help you in. I can't think of a better time than right now for us to start inclining ourselves to the counsel of God. That we might bow our heads right here tonight where we are. Maybe you got it on the tip of your tongue. You're about to bust. And you feel like you need to tell everybody in the congregation, well, before you tell us, talk to God about it. Cry out to Him. Many times people turn to prayer as our last resort. It should be your first. Bring it to the Lord in prayer like the song says. And let's do it right now. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, on this beautiful Wednesday night here at Riverside, I'm thankful that I get to stand in this pulpit and preach your truths before a mighty people who will fact check what I say. And they will open the Scriptures to make sure and examine what I'm saying is true. So Father, tonight I pray and I ask... That whoever, whosoever, whoever here needs guidance and they need help, that Lord, they simply turn their eyes and cast their cares upon Christ. For He cares for us. If He's able to bear the sins of the world, He's able to bear my burdens. If He's able to scoop the oceans in the palm of His hands, according to Isaiah 41, He's able to scoop me out of my situation. No matter if I'm in a valley no matter if I'm on the mountaintop or the mountains on top of me, wherever, Lord Jesus. Father, help me. Lead me and guide me. Help me to deal with this situation. Illuminate my path and show me what I ought to do. Guide me and strengthen me. When my knees are feeble and my legs give out and my mind is shattered, Lord, I know that it's not that I have to keep up with you. It's that you pick me up and carry me. Father, help me and strengthen me in this situation. Well, even Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you and seeking and you will find. knocking and it will be opened to you.